Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chapter 1 of the Submarine Boys Lightning Cruise. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Submarine Boys Lightning Cruise by Victor G. Durham Chapter 1. Why the Danger Sign Was Up Danger! That sign might have been over an air hole in the ice, or it might have been near rapidly moving shafting and belting in a factory. As a matter of fact, the letters, white against the red paint on the door of the shed, meant danger in the most terrible form. It was the sort of danger which, defied too far, would send one traveling skyward. The shed stood in a lonely corner of the big Farnham shipbuilding yards at Dunhaven. Now, it was the Farnham yard in which the Pollard submarine boats were built, and this shed contained some two dozen Whitehead submarine torpedoes each with its fearful load of 200 pounds of that dread high-explosive gun cotton. It was in the month of February, and the day, at this seacoast point, was cold and blustery, when two boys of 17, each in natty blue uniforms and caps resembling those worn by naval officers, crossed the yard toward the shed. Over their uniforms, both boys wore heavy, padded blue ulsters, also of naval pattern. Danger, laughed young Captain Jack Benson, stopping before the door and fumbling for the key. Well, I should say so. Something like two tons and a half of gun cotton in this old shed, smiled Hal Hastings. That's not mentioning some other high explosives. It's this gun cotton that begins to make our calling in life look like a really dangerous one, muttered Jack, as he produced the key and fitted it into the lock. Once upon a time, murmured Hal, we thought there was sufficient danger just in going out on the ocean in a submarine torpedo craft and diving below the surface. Yet we found that submarine travel wasn't really dangerous, pursued Captain Jack. Really, riding around in a submarine craft seems as safe and twice as pleasant as cruising in any other kind of yacht. After we've gotten more used to having hundreds of pounds of gun cotton on board, smiled Hal. I don't suppose we'll ever think of the danger in that stuff either. Jack unlocked the door, swinging it open. Then both young men passed inside the red shed. It needed hardly more than a glance from an observing person to make certain that neither boy was likely to be much bothered by any ordinary form of danger. 
For a number of months now, Jack Benson and Hal Hastings had lived all but continually aboard submarine torpedo boats. They had operated such craft when awake and had dreamed of doing it when asleep. Being youths of intense natures and unusually quick to learn, they had long before qualified as experts in handling submarine craft. They had yet, however, one thing to learn practically. It needs the deadly torpedo fired below the water and traveling under the surface to make the torpedo boat the greatest of all dangers that menace the haughty battleship of a modern navy. Now at last, Captain Jack Benson, together with his engineer Hal Hastings, and F. Summers, another young member of the crew, were about to have their first practical drill with the actual torpedo. An officer of the United States Navy, especially detailed for the work, was expected hourly at Dunhaven. The three submarine boys were eager for their first taste of this work. Barely less interested were Jacob Farnham, shipbuilder, and president of the submarine company, and David Pollard, inventor of the Pollard type of submarine craft. In this shed, placed on racks in three tiers, lay the two dozen whitehead torpedoes with which the first work was to be done. As Jack stepped about the shed, looking to see that everything was in order, he was thinking of the exciting work soon to come. F. Summers was near at hand, though up in the village at that particular moment. There was a fourth member of the crew, however, named Williamson. He was a grown man, a machinist who had been long in Farnham's employ, and who was considered a most valuable hand to have in the engine room of a submarine. Williamson, during the preceding fortnight, had been away in the interior of the country. He had taken a midwinter vacation and had gone to visit his mother. Now, however, the machinist knew of the work at hand, and his return was expected. Really, declared Jack, turning around to his chum, Williamson ought to be here not later than tomorrow morning. He had Mr. Farnham's letter in good season. At this moment, a heavy tread was heard on the light crust of snow outside. Then a man's head appeared in the doorway. Speaking of angels, laughed Hal. Williamson, I'm mighty glad to see you back, hailed Captain Jack delightedly. I'm glad to be back, if there's anything unusual going to happen, replied the machinist, as they shook hands all around. Then, as they fell to chatting, the machinist seated himself on a keg, the top of which was about half off, revealing, underneath, a layer of jute bagging. We're going to have some great practice work, declared Hal, moving about. We're just waiting for that Navy man, and then we're going out on the new submarine, the one that's named after me, you know. Out in the little harbor beyond rode at anchor two grim-looking little torpedo boats, each about 110 feet long. The older one was named the Benson, after Captain Jack. But the latest one to be launched, which had had its full trial trip only some few days before, bore the name of Hastings after the capable young chief engineer of the Pollard boats. Both of the boys, by this time, happened to be looking away from the machinist. Williamson, in utter unconcern, drew a pipe out of one of his pockets, filled it, and stuck the stem between his lips. Next, he struck a safety match softly against the side of the matchbox and lighted his pipe, drawing in great whiffs. Just how far does this practice go, inquired the machinist. 
still sitting on the keg and smoking contentedly. At that moment, Captain Jack Benson caught, in his nostrils, the scent of burning tobacco. In an instant, a steely glitter shone in the young captain's eyes. Firm, strong lines appeared about his mouth. All that part of the face showed white and pallid. Just a second or two later, Hal Hastings also turned. Like a flash, his lower draw chopped, as though the hinge thereof had broken. When Captain Jack's voice came to him, it sounded low, yet hard and metallic. One would have wondered whether he had suddenly become ugly. Williamson, he directed, just step outside and see if F is there. Hardly noting the unusual ring in the young commander's voice, the machinist, still with the pipe stem between his teeth, rose and walked out into the open. With an almost inarticulate yell, Captain Jack Benson leaped after him, striking the man in the back and sending him spinning a dozen feet beyond. Hal Hastings, too, dashed through the doorway, then paused, grasping the edge of the door and shutting it with a bang. "'What on earth do you mean by knocking a fellow down like that?' demanded the machinist angrily, leaping to his feet and wheeling about, leaving the lighted pipe on the snow crust. "'Look at the sign on this door,' ordered Hal Hastings, pointing to the big white letters. "'Danger, eh?' asked Williamson, speaking more quietly. "'Well, that door was open and swung back when I came along, so I couldn't see any warning. But what is there in the shed that's so mighty dangerous?' "'What do you suppose is in the half-open keg that you were sitting on?' demanded Captain Jack, rather hoarsely. "'What?' queried the machinist, curiously. "'The head of that keg is half off,' Jack continued. "'Now, if any sparks from your pipe had dropped down and set the bagging afire, "'well, that keg is almost full of cubes of gun cotton.' "'Phew!' gasped Williamson, beginning to look pallid himself. "'Nor is that all,' Hal took up. Of course, if you had touched off that gun cotton in the keg, it would have sent us all through the roof. But the smaller explosion would have touched off the two tons and a half of gun cotton in those whitehead torpedoes. That would have laid the whole shipyard flat. In fact, after the torpedoes went up, there wouldn't have been much left of any part of Dunhaven. Great Hercules, gasped the machinist, his face now losing every vestige of color. Then, after a moment, with so much sky-high trouble stored in that shed, you should have a sign-up. There is one, on the door, replied Captain Jack, but the door happened to be swung open so that you couldn't see it. Yet I guess you're the only one in all Dunhaven who didn't know what the shed contains. And how does the little town like the idea, demanded Williamson, beginning to smile as his color slowly returned. Why, the people can't expect to have very much to say, Jack replied. We have a permit to store the explosive, and it's at the request of the United States government. You're not afraid to be near so much rockety stuff, are you? Williamson gazed at the young skipper reproachfully. Now what have I ever done, Captain? What have I failed to do that should make you think me only 40% good on nerve? Though I'll admit that my appetite for smoking won't be good when I'm near this shed. How long is the stuff going to stay here? That is, if some idiot doesn't play with matches in that shed. I expect it will about all be used after the Navy officer gets on the scene and drills us in using torpedoes, Captain Benson answered. It isn't intended to keep that sort of stuff stored here all the time. Oh, then I reckon I won't toss my job into the